or so to get situated. Um, welcome back for those that are already here uh, to Beard Banter. I appreciate you guys for checking this out. But um, I have a really special one today. I actually have the CEO uh, of Malwarebytes, Marson, with me. And so I wanted to actually chat with him because his history and his background is actually really neat to me. You know, I, I started as a very organic cybersecurity person. I kind of fell into it because I was managing assets and kept getting attacked. And I feel there might be a few parallels here. So, Marson, welcome <laughs> to Beard Banter. I didn't even make you wear a fake beard. Uh, so <laughs> being very kind. I shouldn't have shaved. I shouldn't have shaved this morning. Although they yeah, at least the five o'clock shadow. Right? You know? <laughs> I got a baby face, so wouldn't have been impressive. Not not that impressive, at least. It's going to be great in thirty years, though, right? Still too, so it works out. <laughs> I think I think in thirty years I'm still going to have patches. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Hey, listen, Marcin, so tell me about, you know, your background. I think a lot of people have used the product. I'll be honest with you. I used Malwarebytes a million times when, when I was in break-fix mode and I'm just trying to take care of something. And, you know, it was always such a great uh, product to have around, right? And, and it was free, which made it, made it very easy as well, <laughs> right? Um, but tell me about your background, Marcin. How, how did it all start? Yeah, uh, I was actually quite young working at a tech repair shop in Chicago. And just getting into it, we were getting a bunch of uh, computers in the door with, you know, failing hard drives, stuff like that. Saw a lot of viruses as well. Uh, this was back in 2003. And at home, at a shared family computer, I downloaded a pirated video game, as all these stories go. I think <laughs> no. Like, I mean, yeah. What's the statute of limitations on that? Are we good <laughs> yeah. on that? Like, I think we're, okay I think we're past about? that. Yeah. Okay. My, attorney, my attorneys have assured me we're past that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was Kazaa or LimeWire or Morpheus or whatever, whatever the, you know, I was a LimeWire guy myself at the time. I think. Yeah. So. Everything was an executable, even, even songs. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and so downloaded a, a video game, pirated it. And uh, all of a sudden computers acting funny. And this was back in the day when threats were pretty mundane, like bonsai. This would have been like the late nineties. Yeah. Or something like that. Maybe no, early two thousands. Yeah. 2003. Okay. Okay. So I'm talking about, you know, bonsai buddy, the purple gorilla jumping around your screen. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I don't know. That yeah. That it's a real thing. Go look it up. It's a purple That's gorilla epic. just trying to sell you crap all day long. And <laughs> I didn't, you know, we were, we, I think we were paying for an antivirus, maybe Norton or, or McAfee or something like that, whatever was the, the famous one back then. Sure. And it didn't stop it. it. It didn't fix it. It didn't stop it. I had no idea what to do. Um, yeah. And so, that was back in the days when malware would at least just tell you it was doing something, right? Like now, exactly. it's egress of data or, or ransomware or whatever it may be. Oh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that, but the, the, it's scary nowadays, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there's people's people's lives at risk. My 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 story is, you know, purple gorilla. I'll stick to that. Um, I like it. So didn't know what to do. I, I, I Googled, you know, probably something like purple gorilla jumping around screen and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, found a message board called spywareinfo.com. It still exists, different name, sure. but I posted my question. And a woman from Belgium named Mika, I can't make this up, uh, came to my rescue and gave me like a pamphlet of 30 pages of instructions and said, here, this will help you. Yeah, yeah. And so I followed those instructions and the computer was back to health. And I'm like, well, that was that was pretty, uh, pretty weird. Like, why are we paying for this product? Why are we running? Why am I running a bunch of uh, crowdsourced utilities, free utilities like hijack this? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Hijack this, man. You just gave me flashbacks, right? Like HGAT. <laughs> Did you run HGAT yet? Yep. Okay, be careful with that. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so, so many tools out there built by the community. And so I decided to stick around that community, and that's where Malwarebytes was born. Me and um, one of the, the co-founders of Malwarebytes, Bruce, was a, a forum member as well. And I said, like, I'm pretty sure I, I just, like, 
started building free tools and wrote to him, you know, a sure. private message on the message board and said, Hey, Just do you want to build an API? That you guys got got a little bit of rapport, I'm assuming, and, and then yeah, started. he was. So I, I was building these little free utilities to help specific threats, and he was always like, I thought he was working for the bad guys because he always knew everything about these threats. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, maybe a toe in each side of the, of the water, <laughs> right? No, it turns out he's clean. Uh, just addicted to a bunch of monsters and Red Bulls or whatever you know he was drinking at the time. Cup, so yeah, <laughs> I'm a purebred coffee guy. And uh, so anyway, so he, he and I and another co-founder, we, we built Malwarebytes and it was this crowdsourced, you know, built from the ground up um, product built in Visual Basic 6 at the time. Nice. Uh, learned, I'm learned assuming it. it's been recoded a couple oh, of yes. times. Oh, <laughs> yes. Engin engineers won't let me touch the code. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Visual Basic 6, if, if the audience doesn't know, was already going out of style around that time. And uh, I learned it from a uh, Four Dummies book, as you would, you know, sure. learn pretty much anything. Um, and, and so, you know, calc my first app was a calculator. My second app was Malwarebytes. That's what I like to say. So <laughs> that's fair. And then it yeah, took and off it just, and it just grew. Yeah, it, it just grew. I mean, these people, you know, were, were so welcoming and there were so many people needing help like me that, uh, the product helped automate and, uh, you know, that remediation, that removal process. And that's, you know, we, we realized once we could remove a threat, we could have protected against it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, because you guys moved from, you know, just kind of this removal set of tools. And I think I was along at the time. I was probably seven, but, you know, I, I, I tease. But no, you know, I was pretty young <laughs> at that time. I was probably 19 or 20. Um, but, you know, I, I did use those tools quite a bit. And and as you realize, like you said, that you could have prevented it. You know, back then, malware was not that big of a deal. Oh, man, I got to say hey to a couple of people real quick. So Miguel uh, Miguel's a friend of mine. He and I have met a couple of different times in the cyberspace. Fantastic guy. Um, and then Jason Slagle. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if you'd know Jason, but Jason's a fantastic uh, threat researcher. He um, kind of grassroots, but brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy at, at looking at stuff in the MSP community and trying to help in that space. Um, and then Miguel said, oh, you know, old malware was so annoying. I'll, I'll take old malware back, actually, if I, <laughs> if I can. Oh, Jason. And then, and then, and then Bryson Medlock, another amazing cybersecurity uh, gentleman that I know well, uh, false advertising. I, I guess I should have gone with the, uh, with the, the, the fake beard. Marcel, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure I could whip something up here pretty quickly. <laughs> the, the funny one was Kyle Hanslevin one time. Uh, and I think whenever I, I don't have it up on this one right now, but Kyle put on a fake beard and a little fake bald cap and, and <laughs> pretended to be me on, on a show. It was hilarious. I think we're going to have to do a redo, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we might have to. So so bring us back to in the beginning. So when you when you first kind of started researching that and started to build Malwarebytes, how how did you build it from there? I'm assuming it was just massively grassroots. I mean, if I remember correctly, it didn't charge until eight years later or something, right? When when did you guys actually sell? Yeah, I our mean, our you know this this company's an accident, as a lot of companies are. We uh, sure. we just wanted to help people. I just wanted to help people. I didn't want people to feel like me. You know, back in the day, I mean, I, I talk about the purple gorilla bonsai buddy, but there was another one that was pretty detrimental, a reboot worm, and every. Mm -hmm. On, at random, every five to 10 minutes, a counter would stop. It was just a shutdown, you know, command in Windows and it would reboot. And trying to solve your problem on dial-up while that thing sure. is rebooting nonstop and you're Googling frantically or whatever search engine was at the time. Oh, wow. I mean, 
you know, this is these are the threats I wish were were, were around today. Not you know, not ransomware, not um, nation state actors, you know, extracting data and and, yeah. and so on. But miss the good old days when it was a cat and mouse game and less cutthroat. Yeah, well, and, and larger impact, larger privacy, you know, challenges and concerns. You know, one of the things that you know for me, I actually feel like we're kind of in a renaissance in cybersecurity in a way, especially for the SMB. Uh, and, and, and home users maybe another 10 years behind. But, um, you know, I think that we're starting to see the education level rise around cybersecurity, that there is a problem. You know, you let Americans start putting uh, gasoline in trash bags and put it on the news and you start getting, you know, attention to the cybersecurity community. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> uh, but tell me about, you know, now, what do you think the state of cybersecurity is? Like, give me your thoughts on it. I, I actually feel like we're looking up. MSPs are starting to listen, which are your aggregators to the SMB. Uh, but what are your thoughts? I mean, you're still in the business. So. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's more important now than ever. And I, I think, you know, a lot of spending in the industry, and that's a good thing. At the same time, is it, you know, in the right areas? I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, I've built my company all around making security as easy as possible for consumers and, and small businesses. That's who we focus on because I think they're severely underserved and managed service providers are really the heroes in this space. Why? Because they're they're there to help. And Many of these MSPs are old break fix shops. You know, the, the same type that I worked at on the corner, on the corner next to the Seven Eleven at the time. I, I'm not making that up. You know, uh, and they've had to go through a transformation because break fix is, you know, is is turning into into services, into you know, subscription, re recurring revenue, and security is a big topic in that regard. So, I don't know. I think security is getting hard. I don't think security products need to get hard. I and and. You know, I, MSPs are really the, the the saviors here in a lot of ways. Well, I, you know, I talk about, you know, the products kind of don't matter. And I mean, they do. That's stupid. Yeah. But the point being is that there's so many things that when it comes to trying to be defensible, when it comes to trying to um, protect your clients and, and reduce their risk, right? Because that's what this is. At this point, it's a risk conversation, whether that's your, you know, your Steam account that my son got hacked out of, <laughs> right? Or whether that is you know, intellectual property or, or things that, that are very valuable to your business. At the end of the day, it really comes down to the, the operational aspects of this, right? And, and having, you know, let's say you buy Malwarebytes or you buy Sentinel One or you buy whatever it is you're buying and you, you, you don't put it on the computer. I don't think it's very efficacious at that stage, yeah. right? <laughs> right? And so you have to have good operational processes. You have to understand what you're trying to do, you know, and we're even to the point where, People aren't even talking about what, what the risk is, and what the data cost is, and what the data worth is. And, you know, so we're starting to see MSPs operationalize those things. And I think to your point, you know, products shouldn't be hard, right? They, they, should, they should be covered the breadth. They should tell you what their risks are, right? One of the challenges I think we have in, in our industry today is so many histrionics, right? There's so many marketing <laughs> companies, and I apologize for the marketing people listening to this today. <laughs> but, you know, there's so many people that say, we protect everything. We could have stopped all of it. If only you were using this amazing product, you're, you're good. But I can go put a QR code on a table that I can get you with, or I can go, right? There's... There's a thousand Wait, Matt, ways. Do you mean artificial intelligence is marketing? <laughs> oh, AI. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. AI. Machine learning and AI will solve everything, right? We're, uh, we're good. I cringe. <laughs> I cringe now when I when I hear that. It's I mean, it's such a buzzword in the industry. Um, yeah. Many companies don't even know what that actually means, you know, as they develop software that's 
AI powered. I mean, anyway, just a pet peeve of mine. A lot of no, no, I love it. Great. Let's go here. I, I'm, I'm, so my, I'll help. I'll help. My <laughs> Jason says, no, no. yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have two questions on this. So um, first, quick, from an AI perspective, I am not an AI researcher. But my brother is, and he's significantly smarter than me. <laughs> covers years. But you know, you talk about that. So help me understand, help the public understand what is AI and why is it a pet peeve of yours and when, it, when it's used in those marketing concepts? Well, I, I think it's synonymous a lot. Uh, in, in uh, all right, let's take a step back because this is a okay. this is a big pet peeve of mine. Like I love it. Marketing and research and development are silos in many companies right and so the r d team builds a great algorithm that detects you know a threat i'm just talking about endpoints specifically marketing will repackage that as the next best thing since sliced bread right artificial intelligence machine learning sure. and and while that may be truthful to some extent as a practitioner in endpoint security having used almost every product on the market and understand it intimately it's repackaged signatures it's repackaged signatures that marketed as artificial intelligence and machine learning which is pretty bizarre and 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 i mean it's just like it doesn't do what it says on the tin and there were companies that went out there and said we do machine learning we do artificial intelligence that is how we detect threats and you are 100 percent protected i can find like 92 flaws in that sentence yeah um, yeah uh, the last statement part of it is what triggers me just i don't yep. know if you saw that on my face but yeah the the 100 yeah bullcrap 84 yeah. and a quarter minute. yeah <laughs> and, and 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 you know third-party testing labs will Put a stamp of approval 100 percent and oh, if you just if, pill mill like that is so those third-party testing labs like yeah anyways yeah that's, look that's i think they have I, I think they have value because somebody needs to be a th the authority on you know independent testing but when when it's easy to you know to manipulate or um or change the results through you know discussion i mean that just tells you enough so yeah Jason said, in theory, they do the machine learning in the cloud to make the quote-unquote signatures. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And look, I think there's a really practical approach to at least machine learning in the context of malware. I mean, looking at metadata sure. of specific files, you know, does it have a digital signature? Does it, and training on those sets, like certainly an application, totally. one that that's, you know, false positive prone and you've got to mitigate all that, but there's great applications of that in Malwarebytes and other companies, not only on the endpoint side, but, you know, on the network side too. It's just the marketing stuff that that really bugs me. Um, yeah. How, how do you? And, so this is the second part of my question. How do you fight that in your company? Uh, it's hard, right? We're trying to compete with uh, other com with other products who are aggressively marketing. So yeah. I think you know the the number one thing is just being truthful with what it does. One of the things you just said. I, every customer call I'm on, it's always like, no, it, it's not 100. percent Nothing is. And and the vendor that tells you it's 100, percent you need to run away from as fast as possible what you need is layered defense and yes. layers like Swiss cheese are going to, you know, stacking the Swiss cheese. So yeah, yeah. I've seen the Swiss cheese model that dates back to ancient history. It's fantastic. <laughs> right? yeah, line up, yeah. Well, and Malwarebytes originally <clears throat> not anymore, but was built to be a complement to traditional antivirus, which is why yeah. we did lightweight, which is why we did, you know, layered, uh, anyway, we built it in such a way that, you know, it, it can scale and, 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 and do well with another product running. But, um, if endpoints, you're only, technology slash process slash anything like you're you're in deep trouble right because that's not 100%. that doesn't cut it nowadays so but see that's just it and so you, you just pulled my string but you know i tell msps every day their their job is not to protect their client's network their job is to be defensible on how they chose to protect their client's network yeah. right and, and, and my point being is that 
like you're saying, you know, there's several pitching 100%. He said, Jason's like, says, I'll be good. There are several pitching 100%. Yeah, no doubt. Several of them. We could, we won't name names. You know me. I don't do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. That pulled me off on a track, but I, I don't even remember where I was going before. But <laughs> I, I will say, yeah, you know, MSP's job is to be defensible. And when you talk about layered defense, you start looking at, you know, look at doctors in the history. When doctors first started you know, hundreds of years ago, when you were practicing medicine, you could saw off a leg or you could put leeches on them, which were pretty much your two things. You know, but as the field of medicine grew, and I'm stealing this from a TED talk that I watched, but as the field of medicine grew, you know, the doctors were still shooting from the hip in a lot of ways. And as new theories came out, and as new medicines came out, and as new ways to treat things came out, and as new understandings of disease came out, they just kept shooting from the hip. They had to be that cowboy, right? They had to just be that one that hoped to get enough knowledge from. Well, we're we're a lot like that. Right in our profession, we're learning those new attack venues. We're starting as you get into like Jason Slagle or, or Bryson Medlock, for example, and you you know the, the ways. You know the hundreds of ways people can be attacked. And as you start looking at it, you can never stop it all. And so what I'm saying is that your job is to be able to say, I did what any reasonable person would do. Yep. I followed a framework. And guess what? When I follow CIS or NIST or, or name them, I don't want to be exclusive, right? You have your CSA, you know, there's tons of them. But as you follow that framework, you're saying, hey, other people have been prescriptive in saying this is what I must do to protect myself. I'm going to at least meet that barrier. And guess what? I'm also going to get better and better and better at that. I'm going to show iterative improvement. I'm going to. And so I, I think that, you know, to your point, why do we need layers? Well, it's because that's what it takes to be efficacious. You have to stop parts of the kill chain. You have to understand the different attack vectors and reduce those and have good hygiene, have good baselines on your machines and have, if you're going to buy malware bytes or if you're going to buy whatever you're buying, make sure it's on there and that you can check for it. You have processes to check for it. Well, I, I think that the, the, the layers just keep getting bigger, right? I, I remember the day that antivirus was enough. Right. Today, DNS can... and proxy and sassy edges and, and you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can argue the efficacy or the need for every single one of those. We're all working within our means and budgets. Um, we as a security company, of course, you know, we're vulnerable too. we have people in finance and support and engineering that have never worked at a security company or yeah. are security practitioners and They're making code. Yeah. And, 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 you know, your humans are, are part of the vulnerabilities, too. I mean, you've heard the story where, you know, a researcher dropped 10 10 USBs in a, in a parking lot and nine oh, of yeah. them got, nine of them got plugged in. The last one got run over by a car. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <pretty> so, <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. And, and anyway, so I, I just think, you know, the, the, the problem set is getting harder and this is why I'm really passionate about just making products easy to use. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nice a... installed Newton or Norton, all good. Ashton well, Dom, make sure it's make sure it's the, the crypto mining is turned yeah, on. Yeah, you gotta make sure you're getting your private wallet share, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was so crazy. You know, and back to your signatures conversation. Like, I don't want to bust on Defender because I've been really, really in Defender's camp quite recently, right? I think they're doing some great things, but the most recent bypass of Defender blew my mind. Like, it was just yeah. naming a file. Like, just name many cats this, and you have nothing. Like, it's. It just blows my mind. Well, um, I, 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 yeah, I look, I, I think Defender's a good product. I, I think they're really investing um, in, in that. Uh, but it's also the, the, the one we see the most in terms of failures on the consumer side, particularly. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that was a, a, a great example, although all products are vulnerable in some way, shape, or form, which is why I think bug bounties are really important, too. I mean, I, you know, we, oh, we, we in particular. Say it again. One more like, time. No, no, no. One more time. Say it again. What did you just say? Here, just clip this. All right. Here. All yeah. right. Here we go. 
bug bounties are really important. Um, oh, <laughs> look, I, I, I'd rather I'd rather pay thousands of dollars to somebody that's ethical to tell me where my product or or whatever is broken than you know that being in the wild and and being exploited or used actively for an attack, which is you know which is devastating. So it's a very defensible position, Marshall. <laughs> well, do you see the news in what is it? What what state is it where they're where they're trying to uh, to uh, indict the person that found the social security numbers in the HTML? Oh Jesus, that's my neighbors, my redneck cousins uh, over in Missouri. Uh, yeah, you're talking about Missouri one, but... encryption, the uh, the base sixty four encoding model. That's that's, that's being you know, they had social security numbers literally in their in their http source code that was screened like it's the equivalent uh, of finding a uh, like paper you know the paperwork on a, in a parking lot and turning it in and saying you know that that's illegal what are you doing i, yeah, I just yeah. i found this, this this big bag of money in the bank from the bank that's sitting out here uh, can i return this uh, arrest him tim it's the yeah, like, theft uh just doesn't make uh, doesn't make any sense to me and this is the you know our policymakers not very technical this is what this is what you get and that, that's the problem yeah. Yeah, well, and the advisors, you know, the guy's probably not an idiot, right? The advisors had to have given the same, uh, it was this. But yeah, I want to go back, though, because I'm getting distracted by the comments. Because <laughs> people are having fun with it, right? Like, but yeah, Dom said it this way. So I, I actually am I, constantly fighting these battles, but I feel like people should have a bug bounty program for, for a lot of reasons. Mainly, it's that you can do the right thing, right? That you're spending so that you're helping find that before someone enumerates that and attacks your, your victim slash you know, client partners. Yep. Um, but in the same breath, it's also for with those researchers, they often need to have a path to bring something to you. Right. And, and it also secures your NDA. It secures the way that you're going to interact with them. It secures the methodologies they're allowed to use. It secures like having a good bug bounty program has so many values in in a code producing entity. Right. I think that's that's huge. So 100 um, percent. I'm glad you said that. I. I won't say where I'm fighting that battle but right now, but I'm, I'm working on that somewhere. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, you've seen this applied the right way where people are put on a pedestal and saying, you know, thank you for finding this. Here's, here's yeah. cash, here's swag, here's, you know, uh, tools to help you develop your career and do it for the good guys, gals. But, you know, the, the flip side is true. There's companies that went out there and sued people for looking into their code. Yeah, Which, we won't you know, name I, those names. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't get that argument. I, I, you know, especially if done. And look, I've Aww. seen, I've seen researchers do it the wrong way, which is, you know, publishing before responsible disclosure and stuff like that. I, I think, given the company time is really important, uh, enough time, but also not too much time where they can. Yeah, defer. yeah. I, I'll fight on the not too much time <laughs> side of that, but I understand the nuances of a, a zero day out there in the wild for two years. You know, is is a big problem, especially in a yeah. in a, a big platform. So, and I'd argue six months, right? I'd, I'd argue it'd be just a few sprints if possible. Agreed. But, um, you know, I'll tackle two things for Jason. Um, the same people asking you for a few thousand, right, for doing the right thing. So a security researcher coming to you with a VDP or not having a VDP and trying to ask for money and seems like you're begging when you're not, you're, you're actually helping them. Um, but they are turning down 10 to 50 times that from the threat actor side in somewhat untraceable currency, more traceable than people think. But um, and then Dom was being a smart aleck and gave us some Missouri encryption. If you would like, I imagine that would be funny when you decode it. It's, it's probably base 64, base <laughs> 32. Um, and then Jason Slagle. I'm going to argue on this one here, and I think it's um, obviously the side of the fence I sit on, but agreed. Security.txt, right, on your, your well-known, and BDP uh, for the win. <clears throat> but the no NDAs on bounty. I, I, I think that there needs to be a fair NDA on bounty. I think there needs to be 
some degree of protection that exists that allows the uh, the parties to work through some of the challenges that exist. And I'm looking at this from the sense that there are so many people with tech debt. There are so many people that have broken systems in their development space that have these things. And I don't want to dissuade people from entering in that space if they can. And I, I'm an advocate for the NDAs and, and maybe they're time-based NDAs or until we've released the public or, but the point is, is to make sure that you're wrapping up those things. Um, yeah, but I, you know, Jason, we often see things on the same side. This one I disagree on. But I, I yeah, let's take a hypothetical. You know, vulnerability in the iPhone, right? I, if it can't be patched fast enough, there's billions of iPhones out there, right? It's making sure the NDA does not impede safety, or sure. rather, the inverse of that, right? Which right, is right, right. it's to not protect only in the interim. Yeah, right, if the if, if the company patched the problem, but you can't get adoption for whatever reason of that of that patch, then the vulnerability still exists. Like I'm not saying that's uh No, long four J is already solved. We we wrapped that up. Everybody's done. <laughs> <everybody's done>. uh, <laughs> a good example of how long that that's gonna take to, to fix. Did right? you see or, the FTC stepped out and said, Hey, we're gonna start yeah. suing if you're yeah, I don't know how much teeth down the road, but wow. Um and then Don Kirby also said, you know, people want to eat, right? Um and I, I think there should be a place where as a security researcher you can make a very good living. I think you should be rewarded for the uh, for the efforts and for the yeah. protection. I mean, if you if you think about it, I think it's uh, I think it should be a very viable way to make a living. And then Jason's back to the same point of right. Don't force me to choose between publishing and getting paid. And I think that's what I mean by that, Jason. I'm with you on that too. I think you should get to gain the notoriety and the credit that you deserve for your skills. I think it would be like asking a professional basketball player not to ever show it on camera. Right. I, I think that's terrible. It would not be for, for very effective. And so I, I agree with you. I just need some in the sense of NDAs in the in the interim phase, and, um, you know, in that space. But yeah. Well, I, 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 and, and so so let's make it a, you know, an ethical dilemma. Uh, what if hospitals, for whatever reason, didn't want to apply that patch and without doing so, they were vulnerable and people could die? Yeah. Do you, do you publish? I mean, again, bad hypothetical. My, my, my response back on that, and you're right, it's a rough hypothetical. But if you if you think back to it, I think that's where those hospitals shouldn't be hospitals. I, I think. Oh, agree. The, the, the obligation lies. Really. I, the obligation yeah. lies with them. But if you, as an ethical researcher, knew that was the yeah. outcome, do you publish? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you actually look at greater good conversation, if you're really looking at it from that perspective. I think, though, you actually see, I, mean, I think we're talking about some of the security researcher burnout, some of the same burnout that exists in general in security. And when you have something where that doctor fully would laugh in your face and would not give you the heart transplant if you didn't follow their advice. And yet here they sit in a position where they're not following the advice and they get to plead ignorance and they're not wrong. They are ignorant. Most of us are myself yep. ignorant. I'm still growing and learning. Right. But as we start looking at cybersecurity, most of these players really absolutely Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, gosh, I just got so excited. <laughs> Jason and I are going to get into a knockdown drag out online about this. This is going to be good. We'll play that on a beer banter. I think we'll just schedule it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the point is I, I feel like these doctors um, and hospitals and, and, and general business all need to become more aware of their responsibilities from a cyber perspective. They need to be, especially when mistakes rise, right? If you start talking about physical health, that physical barrier where I could end someone's life. There was a cool researcher that um, basically inserted fake cancer in an MRI imagery, or it might have been a CT scan. I, mean, I don't remember exactly the methodology, but they basically would force you to start taking chemo, right? By altering and manipulating, let the doctors kill you themselves as a me method of attack. And, my point is, you know, we talk about it when someone at the donut shop wants my social. 
which is stupid. But now <laughs> when we start getting into doctors and, and hospital systems that have the ability to end or protect my life, and, and, and you start saying, that should be an escalatory set of controls. And here they're probably some of the worst. They've got an ERP from 400 years ago. I swear to God, I was in Costco yesterday, and they said, hey, the AS400 is down. I, I swear to God. I was like, wait, you're still using AS4? Oh, yeah, oh, the green screen over there. I'm like, <laughs> blew my mind. Anyway, I mean, sorry. you know, yeah. there, there's so much Windows XP still out in the world, for example. I, that's just a good example of, you know, oh. of, of – and, and to clarify my previous comment, like I – I think NDAs, you know, and gag orders on vulnerabilities do need expirations. I, I think everybody's entitled to to the to yeah. responsible disclosure and being, you know, um, being praised for 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 that, for, you know, for for finding a vulnerability. My my only point is weighing the you know risks and benefits of 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 that here and now, right? Yeah. If is is it a month from now? Can we get everybody patched? I mean, I I just think there needs to be a reasonable person's. Yeah test on some of this stuff companies that go out there and say if you ever release this we'll sue the hell out of you are you know in, in not in my book so jason you've never had anybody act like that with you, have you? <laughs> 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 oh and, and no doubt though uh I, dom says ask the navy how much xp costs them <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's funny oh goodness we're gonna get a good one here but it, it, it it's funny there was a stat and this was like seven years ago if you hooked up a xp machine public internet uh, you know, without a firewall in between, I think it was like 3.7 seconds until enumeration and attack. Oh <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I can only imagine it's gotten faster. There, there's hot topics like that. I mean, a good example of this is, um, RDP attacks in our customer environment. So we have like 50,000 business customers and MSPs, 4 million attacks RDP per day. Just yeah. on the endpoints we we manage in our ecosystem, crazy. four million brute force which, attacks. Which right. also says people have a uh, you know RDP open, or there's something a threat inside their network, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Easiest way to get ransomware on is brute force RDP, disable whatever antivirus is on there, endpoint protection software is on there, put yeah. put some ransomware payload, and off we go. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, in fact, I, there's a lot of friends that stand up those honeypots, right? And so they can do the research and see what the attack vectors are. Do you guys have, uh, maybe I'm asking a question I'm not allowed to ask, you can tell me no, but do you guys have honeypot methodologies for some of your threat research? Yeah, totally. I mean, we're, we're trying to emulate as many real machines out there. This is why I'm, you know, I'm so um, bearish on some of these third-party testing labs. Many of them don't actually emulate real-world attacks. And it, it's just so important when you... Malwarebytes in the early days would f flunk, absolutely devastatingly flunk third-party testing. Why? Because, okay. because we don't care that you're executing files from a folder on your desktop. That is not how the real-world threats work. We gotcha. care that you were on a page, it downloaded a file to the temp folder, it executed from there. And very passionate about this because I think it's just it's it's a misrepresentation of how products and 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 real threats work. And so you know we care how the actual threat is in the machine on the machine yeah, the context. Um, it, exactly so you know we if you run it from the desktop maybe some of the other vendors have spent time on that that's just not how you know we think about threats we look at the real world so the honeypots are set up in such a way that that's the replay that we get all of the real world infections and how it's going through the machine where it's exfiltrating yada 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 so I, I hope I didn't discern that to say if I copy my file to the desktop before moving forward after downloading it, I'm in good shape. I imagine the contextual strings are still there for getting. We will still, you know, we, we because because it's important to our it's important to our customers that we do well with yeah. third party testing, right? Because they've yeah. got to show a report that says, "Hey, boss, like you know, I've 
I've picked a product that works. So we've, we've had to make some changes to the product over the years, begrudgingly yeah. to, to make it work in such a way. But and you're me, not the first to tell me this. Uh, another major, <laughs> major EDR also said we pulled out. And, and you know where it came up? I was looking to consume. I had 20,000 endpoints I was protecting. And so I was going to buy the single largest contract I ever signed. It was like 47,000 a month or something. But, um, but yeah, I was looking at it and I said, you know, this date on this test was 2017. You guys haven't tested, and I was shocked, and I was, I was angered and stupid, and, and you know. And then I got to meet with their C-suite, and they're like explaining it to me, and, and I was like, "Oh, you you just don't feel like playing their game." Like, and it was the same exact conversation. Like they were getting denatured specimens, right? They weren't fully capable of executing. They're just looking for those, yeah. You know, and this particular EDR said, "No, we ignore those on purpose because they're not threats. <laughs> it's not the way we're going to see this." And so and, it's interesting. And, you, re you echoed that. That's the same. And, and to be, to, you know, to be clear, these testing labs have evolved. They have engaged with with partners like us. We, you know, we're working through these kinds of things. But um, many, many years ago, that's what it was. It was right click on the desktop, and yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> And, and and just you know report on how many how many how many you found nine hundred files in that folder it detected eight hundred twenty therefore it's you know eighty yeah. percent effective or ninety yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. percent effective so uh, yeah the world's changing and and threat actors are using real world techniques I think you know living off the land tools that are not yeah. you know a file or a signature right like I think Miter does a great job of of you know doing the tests and looking at the visibility although really I would do. I would argue some of the needs for MSPs and SMBs for example like we purposely don't show certain certain items to our customers because their eyes would just glaze over right and sure. it's 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 the alerts that matter and are actionable uh that are most important so try to build an edr product for an smb that is a challenge i'll tell yeah. you yeah well especially if you know you have a lower usually you have a lower e education level i don't mean education i just mean um uh, security maturity, sophistication, I mean, security maturity, maturity yeah. ability to understand and discern what they're seeing. What, what they're a jack of all trades. They have to, they yeah. have to, they have to do a lot more than just a dedicated security team. In fact, you know, they're overwhelmed in a good way. I mean, they're they're trying to, you know, uh, protect a customer, patch a customer, provide IT services, networking. I mean, they're a jack of all trades. Um, and, and they and have to be an educator job. too, right? Yeah. And right now, when you start talking about, you know, cybersecurity. And you understand that it's, you know, it's two people playing the game, right? That we have to have their help and their assistance as, as a client partner, as an MSP, right? And so I, I think that that's part of this challenge too, is that not only do they have to do all those things that are stretching within, then they have to go raise the tide with those people and educate those SMBs to say, why are we going to make this more, you know, why are we going to put on passwordless? Why are we going to add these tools? Why are we going to increase what we have? I thought you were already protecting me. That, that all comes into an education purpose. Now, not only do you have to be a great tactician, you have to be a great operations people, you have to be able to go, you also have to go then be an educator. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's kind I agree. of a tough additional you, piece too. You know, many small customers come to us directly 25 people, 50 people, and want to, and want to buy Malwarebytes from us. And right. we send them to a managed service provider because, yeah. again, for the very reason, you know, and, and always happy to engage with more, but it's a, a lot of the times it's the it's the facility manager or the office administrator oh, yeah. or the yeah, ceo yeah. themselves and oh, look i've made i've made my product as simple as i can as simple as you can <laughs> right. make edr but an office administrator like that's that shouldn't be part-time duty go to an msp go to <laughs> right. an mssp we'll we'll help you find the right partner because we they'll take care of you better than we can yeah yeah for sure well and i think that is the point is that we're starting to see you know, much more understanding of why you would hire a partner like this. You know, we talk about, do I do my own taxes? No, I do the fucking idiot <laughs> yeah, exactly. my own taxes, right? <laughs> and I have a CPA, you know, but in the same breath, like, and I'll get on my rant on this, but, you know, MSPs to this point, I just need a sticky note. 
and I can put it on my, my wall, and I'm an MSP now. That's it. That's all it takes. License from the business department, pay my taxes, get an EIN, and I can go do these things, right? Like, the point is there's no barrier to entry either. And so that means that part of the things that, that bore me, and I think Jason Slagle started in a very similar fashion, like, I didn't have any official training. I just started doing computers and said, I want to be a polluter guy. Right. Like, and I, I think the challenge is we have to have just like doctors evolved, just like CPAs evolved and they became professional organizations. I think that our industry has to shift over the next few years into a much more professional services model that comes down to having barriers to entry, self-regulation or otherwise, um, so that we can actually say, OK, if this person comes and tells you something, the next person down the street may tell you a little different. But it's going to be pretty similar. Right. Yeah. Uh, between three CPAs, you know, some of them might be a little less scrupulous. But there's a certain barrier to entry, right? There's a certain amount of scrupulousness that must exist, yep. I think. Um, yeah, certifications and, and frameworks are a big part of this uh, and, and consistency <laughs> and, you know, best practices. <laughs> it's in shame because he uses a term now. <laughs> that still counts. I'm not going to hold it to you. They make it simple. I just mean you're not going to sit down and use a 1040 and type it out by hand and look at all the schedules and type, nope, 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 not going to happen. Um, yeah. So bizarre that the government knows how much money I owe them, and yet I have to tell them how much I owe them, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a trust game. We want to see if you're in the trust. We, we know. We've got it all reported, but you do the math and tell me. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it really is because they'll help you take advantage of all of the tax shelters or methodologies to do the right thing throughout the year so you can be successful at tax time next year and, you know, those type of things. And so my, my point, though, is just like that in security practitioner. Uh, that's a word, I'm going to use it. But in, in, as a security practitioner is that we have to start moving towards this. Here's all your gaps. Here's what they are, which means I have some level of knowledge of what those gaps are. Um, and then let's walk towards that. Over the next six quarters, let's do these two controls every quarter. And, you know, those type of things. And so I think that there needs to be some regulation in our industry um, from an MSP. And I'd like your thoughts on that as we close this out. Yeah, I, I you know, like I said, I think certifications and frameworks are really important. And barrier of entry i mean you're right anybody can say they're a security practitioner with no you know experience and install a couple of uh, you know tools yep. uh, you know as somebody that's self-taught i'm torn on the topic i think there's some really really smart people out there that you know don't have the certifications don't have knowledge of some of the frameworks um have taught you know reverse engineering to themselves um yep. So, you know, I'm torn. I, I, I think uh, you certainly need to be, you know, conduct business in a professional way and whatever that means to you uh, and your customers yeah. is, is important. And, and I will say, I think this is a industry that has to be an apprenticeship model. I, I don't think you can learn this in a way that's you know, just certificates. I don't think well, not anymore. I, I think it's also just so complex now. It, it yep. used to be that, you know, an antivirus is enough. And now, I mean, how many tools in the stack? How many procedures, processes, et cetera? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, I think to the point though, you know, doctors uh, uh, and and attorneys already have systems for these type of barrier to entries, right? Like a doctor goes to residency and then they go to so they they you know doctors are a lot like an apprenticeship too because there's some nuance and a lot of science, but some nuance. Um, and so I think that we should have a process to make people organically too. I, I, I may be wrong here, but I don't think we have a shortage of attorneys in the in the world, but we, we sure still have a shortage of security folks. Yeah, <laughs> so, true, uh, true. Maybe there's some wartime training here, you know. That we I can... agree. No, no, I think so. I, but I do think that, you know, you're, you're trying to solve this right now through the, the courts and through insurance and subrogation and other models. And 
Um, I just don't know that that'll be enough and fast enough. I, I agree with the wartime kind of theory right now. Like we, we very much are um, in this like losing end of that battle from a cybersecurity perspective. I mean, trillions yeah. of dollars a year trickle out of our economy and other economies out there. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm a journeyman cyber human. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing that though. I'm like, I'm going to use journeyman cyber human. What's the equivalent of like a like a you know a helmet and a rifle for the for the cybersecurity person? Here's your helmet. Here's your rifle. Get to work. You know. What's yeah, 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 yeah. There? Yeah, it's basically going to be your EDR and your SIM. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a security calculator where you can decode yeah. stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. decrypt. That. Remember, let's use the oh, right yeah. word. If it's encoded, you decrypt it. That's what this word is. Fair enough. Um, and then we'll close this out here in just a few minutes for everybody to be respectful of time. Um, I think there are many people on the other side of the Atlantic that don't have certifications, but they hit hard. Uh, fair. <laughs> I mean, Matt, most of our security researchers we found on this message board, you know, people that, I mean, they don't, they barely worked a nine to five, you know, and, and yeah. had any, so it's, you know, I'm very, I think you got to get in security very creative on where you find your talent and how you train them and, and what certifications you need and so on. So, yeah. Well, and I, I will say, you know, when I talk to MSPs and they're like, how do I start a security program? How many find the one guy or gal that already has a passion for it, but has no experience and drive them towards solving and changing things, right? Like that, I think you make security professionals for sure. I don't, I don't think, uh, yeah. I don't think you can do that in the certification process. Now says, think like electricians, new electricians work with experienced electricians till they become experienced electricians. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and I think that there's a lot of learn it yourself. But what I mean, if you want to, um, yeah, sorry, this is going to take longer to solve than that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Miguel says having hands-on matters. Yeah, no doubt. And I agree. I mean, certifications, I don't think tell you much. I have, I have a lot of certifications, but in reality, you know, there are gaps in there where I have a certification, but I haven't done a lot of real field work in some of the things, right? And so I agree. They don't tell the whole story. I think it should be an apprenticeship type model or go work for a company and, uh, not any experience, a real easy path. And there's so many memes on LinkedIn of, hey, new job, you know, I need five years of experience in this software. And there's only, two, it's only been out two years, right? Like, uh, so. Maybe this is a controversial topic. And, you know, uh, most of the CISOs I know are incredibly experienced, but given the shortage of security professionals, many are promoted to the title of CISO before they're ready. And it's kind of the, what is it? The Peter principle? You, you, you're you yeah. promoted until incompetence. Yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's just so I much. Think the much pressure. To rise to their own level of incompetence. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I don't know. Bad analogy, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a great one. <laughs> um, and and Shiva did say, you know, tech moves too quickly, too quickly for certs. Um, I don't think it means you shouldn't have them, though, right? They show some baselines that exist, but um, I like the minimum standard comment, right? I, I do think there is yes. a minimum standard uh, that is that is needed, um, and certification certainly can certify that minimum standard. <laughs> Yeah, I think the minimum standards would be frameworks. I mean, I think if I was if I was looking at this, I would find some defensible framework, and my minimum standard would be: Can you provide these things? I think the challenge, though, is in the nuance, right? Minimum standard. I I have sat around as a surgeon, and I've watched other people, and I know what to do here. <laughs> but when I go to wield the knife, I don't know that I'm very operationally good at wielding the knife, right? And I, I think that's some of the challenges we have here too. Is there's a lot of nuance. In the I've seen a few YouTube videos <laughs> on, how to, on how to operate. So yeah. 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 <laughs> CMMC V1, fair. Uh, and hard to apprentice when what you learn is old. True story. Gosh, There's, the comments today have been ridiculous. Like, I'm, I've got like, uh, you know, squirrel syndrome here. 
So Marson, I'd like to let you close us out. You know, this has been an episode of Beard Banter. I really appreciate everybody's comments. Minimum controls, CISOs are different breed. Gosh, lots of comments. I'm closing up. I'm going to shut up. Marson, let's close this out. <laughs> Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. And, you know, to all the MSPs out there, you guys are the real heroes, as I said, you know, keep your heads up and, and keep the good fight. You're, you're, you're the ones protecting the world today. So. Amen. Amen. That, well, I don't think I could have closed it out better than that. So <laughs> Martian, you rock. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for coming on. I wish I'd had a fake beard. I, I like know you, you got to ship one to me now. I, I'm going to mail fake beards. Out. I'm going to get a matte beard made. I'm Maybe we could do an overlay like a, like a filter. You know? Yeah, I'm going to do it on the Tony Center actually uh, <laughs> earlier. So thanks so much, everyone. 